Well, this morning, um, we're going to dive into God's Word together. You guys ready? You ready? Um, it's been a while since I spoke, and so, and I was telling the, the pre-service huddle people that um, this message has been brewing in my heart for like three weeks, and I haven't even had coffee yet this morning. I'm like up here, I'm like ready to rock and roll. Let's go for a run or something. So, uh, so this morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, if you have your Bibles, turn to, turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapters 1 and 2 this morning. And um, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the seat, seat backs in front of you. I would encourage you, grab a Bible this morning. I didn't put all of the scriptures on the screen. Um, there's some up there, but grab a Bible. Turn to the book of Acts, um, chapter 1 and 2. This morning, the message um, is entitled, Be the Movement. The mission, the spirit, and the church. Be the movement. The mission, the spirit, and the church. The mission, empowered by the spirit, accomplished through the church. Now, I'm not sure what comes to mind whenever you hear the word church, right? When you hear the word church, um, I'm sure that what comes to your mind today is not what came to the mind of the believers in the first century church. It's not how it was understood in the first century. Um, the church, in its inception, was a movement. It was a, it was a movement. It was a movement built around, built around the conviction that Jesus had died as the only Savior for sinners, and that he had risen from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was. The idea that he was the rightful Lord of all the earth, and that all people everywhere are now commanded to repent and invited to come to him. So in the, in the Greek, in the Greek New Testament, this word, the word that is translated church is ecclesia. And, and the word in the Greek literally means an assembly or a gathering of people around an idea, around like a thought, around an, an idea. And, and, and if you break that word ecclesia down even more, it's ek, which is ek, which means out of, and then kaleo, which means called out. So if you think of the church, or ecclesia, as an assembly of people called out around an idea. Think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. The church isn't a building like we see today. The church isn't, isn't, wasn't meant to be this, 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 this structure, but it was meant to be a movement of people called out around an idea. But over the years, uh, something terrible had, has happened. That people begin to think of church as a place you went for a religious service. Or, or our English word church actually doesn't even come from the Greek word ecclesia. It comes from a German word and it, that means a sacred place where you gather for religious purposes. So the church, this movement, has changed from an original idea to a distorted idea of maybe what... Of, of church. The shift, the, there's a shift in thinking that changed the way that people relate to church. And throughout the dark and middle ages, people went to church because it was a place where you attended an event or it was a place where you attended a, 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 a service rather than a movement that you were a part of. Do you hear me this morning? You hear the difference in that? And the church became an institution that has essentially provided services for people. And, and unfortunately, during that transition, it was controlled by people who, who, who used it to serve their own interests versus a movement towards spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. But something happened that God raised up a group of people called the Reformers. And one of the main ones was the English, in, in the English world was William Tyndale. And Tyndall came to the conviction that Christianity was essentially a movement, and that if people were going to be devoted to the movement, they had to understand the message. And his life work was to produce a Bible in common English. And every time he came to this word ecclesia, from the Greek New Testament, when he translated it, he translated it not to church, but he translated it to the word congregation. Because he was trying to emphasize that the church was not a place you went to, but a movement, a group of people that you belonged to. Well, that infuriated some of the leaders during, the, during this time, and because he had undercut their authority. Remember I said that the church was ran by some people who were self-seeking, powerful people. And Tyndall was, was tried as a heretic, and he was burned at the stake. During his trial, right before he died, he said, If God spares my life, 
Ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. And as he was being burned, his last recorded words were, Lord, open the, open the king of England's eyes. And this morning, if you have a King James Version Bible, you can see that his prayer came true. God answered that prayer. And that's where the English version of the Bible, kind of common English, came from. But this is what the church is this morning. It's an assembly built around a movement. And the danger of the church in every age is to cease being a movement and become a, a, and become a ministry that provides services to people versus a movement that is a part of. Or, or even worse, the danger is, is that we become a place where people just attend on a Sunday morning and not a movement that, 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 that everybody is on, on the same direction moving together. The original church was a movement gathered around a mission. Movements move. If you're part of a movement, you're moving. How many of you guys are moving this morning? You guys awake? You moving with me? Let's move. And we're moving this morning. The church was a movement gathered around a mission. And the mission came first. The mission was given, we're going to see here in Acts 1, but the church didn't come until Acts 2. So let's hear what the mission was this morning. So the first thing, be the movement, the mission, number one. So what is the mission? Acts 1, 8, and 9 gives us the mission. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. I want to stop right there for a minute. Witness is a term used in the courtroom. A witness is somebody who testifies about what they had seen. They testify about what they had heard. A witness's job is not really to do anything, right? Isn't really to do anything, but just tell people what has already been done. Hold on to that for a minute. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said all these things, he... he uh, when he had said all these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This was Jesus' last commandment, last statement to the disciples. We see this recorded in the other Gospels. We call it the Great Commission. This is the, the writer in Acts's, Acts recorded. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The, the mission is to be a witness. To be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So what are they witnesses of? Right? What were these people witnesses of? They were witnesses of what they had seen. Remember, he's talking to the disciples. The disciples are all gathered around, and he's... I, don't, I can't even picture this scene, but Jesus is like floating, standing in, in the air. He's going up. <laughs> like, I'm trying to picture this. And he's like, you're going to be my witness. And he's like, over there in, in Jerusalem and here in, over there in Judea and in Samaria. And, and wait a minute, I'm going up higher. I can see all of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses there, everywhere. The disciples had seen Jesus' life and ministry. They were witnesses of their conviction that Jesus had died a substitutionary death as a substitute for sinners. He wasn't just another prophet, as many people in the land had, had believed. He was God himself on a re- rescue operation to save us. And we crucified him because we were rebellious traitors who would rather run our own lives than submit to God, our creator. But I think the craziest thing is that in the universe is great irony, right? His death, his sacrificial death, was a payment that God accepted for our sins if we would acknowledge and receive it. See, the disciples, they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. They believed that. Some of them, some of them against their own wills, but they believed it because they had seen it with their own eyes. They had heard him, they had heard everything that he had talked about and taught while he was on earth. And this proved to them beyond any doubt that Jesus was who he said he was. Because what he had said had come to pass. The apostles understood that if this was true, that this was the greatest act of grace that anyone could ever imagine. That God the creator died for his rebellious children. And it was the most important message ever given because it was our only hope of salvation. They were now witnesses 
to all that Jesus had talked about and what he had said. And everything that he said had to be true because they saw it, they heard it with their own eyes, and what he had said had come to pass. He died and was raised from the dead. So when Jesus was talked about hell, hell must be true. When Jesus talked about heaven, it must be real. Because, what they, because of what they had seen and what they had heard. Then he must be the savior of the world. That he came to bring man into relationship with God. To be the way that humankind is saved from death and destruction and raised to new life through Jesus Christ, through Jesus, is because of the work of Jesus on the cross. That must be a true statement because that's what he taught. They understood the mission. The gospel message is truth. And it was their conviction to believe it and their mission was to spread it. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, they believed it. They didn't believe there were multiple ways to get to, to get to heaven or get to Jesus or come to Jesus, but it was only through Jesus Christ. They had seen his death. Like, think about this. Like, the disciples had seen his death. They saw Jesus, the guy who healed lepers, the guy who, who controlled demons, speak, spoke to demons. He spoke, t- had conversations with angels. They saw, they saw Jesus, the man who, who, who had a... Who had, who, had, who had healed many people. They saw him walk on water. Like, get this. They saw Jesus walk on water, right? They saw Jesus walk on water. And yet, in the hour that he needed those powers the most, he turned his back on them. Because he was dying a death that would be their way to eternal life. So he could give his life as a sacrifice for their sin, for your sin, and for my sin. So here's my question to you this morning. Do you believe the mission? Do you, be, do you believe this conviction? Has it captured you like it captured the apostles in, in, in the book of Acts? When we read on in Acts, you'll see that the apostles, the disciples, they, they, they couldn't shut up about this. They couldn't keep their mouths quiet about what they had seen and what they had heard and what they had learned from, from Jesus. It was burning inside of them. The apostles ultimately gave their life for the mission. To be a witness and share this message all around the world. Like, think about this. From 12 ordinary men, a movement started. 12 ordinary, average Joes, if you would, fishermen, tax collectors. A movement started. Are you willing to go anywhere with it and give anything up for it? Movements move. And I want to encourage you this morning. There's no such thing as someone who really believes the gospel and sits on the sidelines. You may say, Pastor Rob, that's kind of harsh. Like, that's, that's a little, little harsh. Yeah, I, I understand that. But that's really what it comes down to. The movement, the mission of what God has called us to. And in fact, I've heard it said this way, that God doesn't have a mission for his church. He made the church for his mission. He made the movement for the mission. If we want to be a movement, we must be captured by the mission. You and I were made for this mission. And he gave us the tools for this mission through the Spirit, which is the next part this morning. If you want to be a movement, we must understand the mission that is only accomplished through the Spirit. And we we see this, we're going to be in Acts 2, in verses 1 through uh, 7. 17 this morning. But question for you this morning. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Spirit. Do you know what it means to walk in the Spirit? To be filled by the Spirit? Do you know what it means to, to move in the power of the Spirit? To be in fellowship with the Spirit? See, I think oftentimes we look at Christianity, we look at it as a set of beliefs or a set of rules that we adhere our lives to. And we try to, we try to match up our lifestyle to follow it. Versus Christianity being an interaction with the Spirit of God on a daily basis. There's a difference in the way we approach life when it's an interaction and a relationship with the Spirit of God versus a list of do's or don'ts that we consent to or, or, or try to adhere to. Because when it's inside of us, it has to come out, right? 
That's what, the, that's what the apostles saw. The apostles, what was inside of them was the word of God. What was inside of them was what, what Jesus had spoken to them and taught to them. And it had to, it had to come out. If you're a believer here today, you've given your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And he is the means by which this movement can continue. It is through the Holy Spirit that you should be and can be captured by the mission, by the message of Jesus Christ of seeing the gospel message spread throughout our world. So in your home, in your workplace, in your school, in your life, on the soccer field if you're a student playing soccer, or maybe you're an adult playing soccer, or wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, is the mission part of what you live and what you breathe. Acts 2 is a fulfillment of the promise that Jesus said in Acts 1 when he told them not to leave Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to read, read through Acts 2, 1 to 17 this morning and connect these two together. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were, seated, where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Aren't all of these aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then this is how each of us then how is it that each of us hear them speaking in our native language? I'm going to skip down to verse 11. They said, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. These tongues were other human languages. They were unknown to the speaker, right? But known to somebody else. And keep reading. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up, stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. He said, Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Peter's like, Listen, guys, like, I don't know where you guys are, but it's 9 a.m. here. There's no way they're drunk. There's no way they're drunk yet. Yet, right? No, that's not what he said. There's no way they're drunk. 9 a.m. Let's keep reading. He goes, he said, no, let me explain this to you. Because you know the Old Testament. You know the law. You've read, you've read this before. This is what is happening. This, what is happening is what is talked about in the book of Joel. When he, when he says, this is, this is what is talking about and spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. All people. Everyone. Now, I, I want to... This is, this is like news to these people who were standing there in, the, in, the, in Jerusalem that day. Because, because up until this point, the Holy Spirit had only been, a, only been moved and worked in the nation of Israel. He only moved in, the, in those confines of that group of people. Now his work was going to all nations. Hear me, the mission, the mission this morning. Be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, all across the ends of the earth. Every people, every nation on earth shall know and worship Jesus. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Being filled with the Spirit and prophesying God's word was not just for a select few anymore. It was for all believers. See, in the Old Testament, prophets who spoke God's word, they, they had like books written, right? About what they had seen and what they had heard and, and what God was speaking, speaking to them. It was, it was recordings of their actions. It is now as if each one of us has our own book, a book of the Spirit. That's not, it's not saying we're writing Scripture, right? Like, let's get that clear. We're not writing Scripture. Scripture's in its own special class by itself. But it's to say that if the Spirit is inside of you, He should be speaking and moving through you. Every single believer should be able to have a book written about them, about what the Spirit of God has done and will do and has said through them. And I love, this, I love this chapter because Acts 2 continues with Peter preaching a sermon about who Jesus is. And at the end, the people call out and say, what should we do? What should we do? And Peter says, repent and receive Jesus as the gift of salvation and be baptized as a sign of that. 
And 3,000 people responded to that altar call that day. At the coming of the Spirit, 3,000 people from all nations, hear me, all nations, all over the earth, came to life. Think about that this morning. It was no longer just for, for, for a select group. It is now all nations. In, 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 in Acts 2, in the beginning, it's, it talks about them being from all cultures. See, I love in the upper room, we see, we read this story, we read this account, and it talks about the upper room. When the Holy Spirit fell, there were like little tongues of fire, right? Like on top of people's heads. Now, if tongues of fire come on your head, I'm probably going to dump a bucket of water on you this morning. But there were little tongues of fire. And, 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 and this, was, this was such a cool illustration. And to me, this is like a symbol that God was saying that it was in the temple where the Spirit of God dwelt before. It was in the temple where you had to go to, to access the presence and the power and the fire of God. But now he's saying, the, whole, the Holy Spirit, I'm moving my house from the temple and I'm dwelling in each and every believer. The fire of God, the power of the Holy Spirit is available to each and every believer. I'm moving my house from the temple. My presence is no longer accessible in a building, but I'm moving to each and every believer. And then I think with the wind, I love the, I love the illustration of the wind. I love when he talks about the wind because I believe the wind is something that God is saying, nothing can ta- stop my spirit from moving and accomplishing the mission in and through each and every believer. Now I know that as an Assemblies of God church, we could sit here this morning and preach a six-part series on, on the Holy Spirit and, and, and dive, deeper in, dive deeper into this passage. But I want you to hear this this morning. What I want you to hear and I want you to see, is that first the Holy Spirit is inside of each and every believer. And when the Holy Spirit came, there was a movement that took place. Something happened. A miracle took place. People in the upper room began speaking in different languages. And, and the people in the streets began to hear their own language. Like, put those, two together, put those together. But I want you to hear that God wants to use you to be a movement and fulfill the mission through the Holy Spirit and he's going to give you the words to say. The people in the upper room didn't know what they were saying. But the message was going forth. The people in the streets heard them praising God. And then think about this. Right after that, Peter stood and preached a message about who Jesus is. 3,000 came to Christ. But let's talk about this guy Peter, right? He was the guy who didn't have enough boldness to say that he was a disciple of Jesus just a few chapters earlier, earlier in Jesus' ministry, when Jesus was headed to the cross. He was the guy who denied Jesus three times. But the Spirit gave him the boldness and the word to stay to get the movement started. I look at that and I go, he used the most unlikely disciple, the person who was kind of like, you know, I'm a, I may be ashamed of being a disciple or I, I, I'm not, I'm going to deny this. I don't have the boldness to stand and get a movement started. And it started with those apostles to those 3,000 people and then all the way down the line to here today, you and I. We're called to be a movement with a great mission empowered by the Spirit. And, this, the, and the way this movement is accomplished is through us, the church. Through the church. The movement understands the mission empowered by the Spirit and it's accomplished through number three, the church. Because we aren't called to be a place where people gather for religious purposes. Bridge, we are a movement. We're an ecclesia, if you were to say that. We're a group of people called out around the idea. And that idea is the mission. That we are witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in our home, in our church, on Sunday morning, on Monday, on Friday nights, wherever we are at our jobs, in our grocery store, maybe on the train on your way to work, we are called out as believers to spread this message that Jesus is Lord and that he is the only way to salvation. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we will see each and every person. See, when we walk down the street, when you're on that train, when you're in your job, do you see each and every person as someone who has an eternity in front of them? Like they're going to spend heaven, they're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And by the Spirit that is given inside of us, we see people differently. By the Spirit that is inside of us, we get to speak into their lives and share this message with them and be a witness to the freedom and salvation that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we get the opportunity to invite them to be part of the movement with us. 
Do you see how this works? Do you see how this works this morning? And here's my little geek. You know, I just said, I said I'm, like, I'm a studier and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a geek person. So here we go. You ready? Here's my geek for this morning. Astronomers tell us that when we see a star, that we're actually seeing light that was generated a long time ago. So light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Now, that is really fast. Um, I wonder if it, never mind. I wonder what that would be like if you could actually travel at 186,000 miles per second. But anyhow, the, but the light that we are seeing is actually generated a long time ago. And when we look at a star, the light that we're seeing in the present is from another time. And the church is exactly like that. It's a light in the present from the past through the power of the cross. It's a light in the present from the past through the power of the cross. And it's a light to the future, the united kingdom of God. The church is to be assigned to all the earthly powers that the gospel and his promises are true. And that God is real and that Jesus is Lord. And that the cross and the resurrection really happened. Does that happen in your workplace? Does that happen in your family? Does that happen where you spend your time? Do people know because of who you are that Jesus really is Lord? Let me help you on how we're going to do this together. You ready? Real quick, we're going to go through this. This is how we're going to do this. How did the first century church do this? How did, they, how did, how did God use the first century church to be a witness in, Ju- in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the world. Here's how he did it. Acts 2, 42 through 47 gives us a great description of that church. And I believe that it's a very practical application for us today. And what we should be striving for as Bridge Community Church in Lansdale, PA, on August 15th, 2021. Acts 2, 42 says this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Devoted. They gave themselves to. They abandoned themselves. And gave themselves to these things unselfishly. And they did this in response to the gospel. The fire that was inside of them is now, now moving through the Holy Spirit, yielded a natural reaction to the gospel. And this natural reaction, when the Spirit is inside of us, is exactly what we're going to find right here in Acts 2, 42 through 47. The first thing, they four things that they, they devoted themselves to. Number one, the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Christianity is a word-based religion. God revealed himself to us through books and through words. God revealed himself to us Through his word. To us today, he revealed himself to us through his word. His word must be inside of you. Our world says that if you're unhappy, change your circumstances. If things are going wrong, change your situation. If life seems bleak, change change what's going on around you. But Christianity says that it's not necessarily what's on the outside that needs to change. It's what's in your heart that needs to change. Christianity says maybe there's a heart problem. And the only way that a dead heart comes alive or a hard heart is softened is through getting the word of God inside of your heart. Our hearts are naturally ungodly and our sin makes us think wrong. It distorts us. Our culture says we find truth from within. But that's not what the word of God says. Deuteronomy 6 says, put the word of God on your door frames and hide it in your hearts. And I think what is so impressive about this is that it says devoted to God's word. See, the first century church didn't have a Bible like what you have today. They didn't have this little iPhone where they can pull out and open the YouVersion app and read, and it'll tell them, it'll go off and remind me multiple times a day, are you reading, have you read, are you going to read? And I'm like, ignore, 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 you're really ignoring. No, it's like, I've read already, I've read four times a day, how many times do you want me to read? But it just keeps going off. And then we didn't have the Bible that, they, that you have, like a binded Bible in front of you. The only thing they had as the word of God was the apostles' teaching. What the disciples had witnessed and seen. They had the Old Testament, and then they had what the apostles had seen as they journeyed with Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. So they devoted themselves to the word of God. They devoted themselves to studying God's word and hearing the apostles' teaching. They didn't have... Bibles that were translated into multiple different languages and various versions so it was easier to read. 
We have access to the scriptures that the first century church didn't have access to in the same way that they did. How much more should we be devoted to God's word? How much more should we be devoted to the apostles' teaching? You've heard me say that study, you heard me say this last time I preached that, that we live in a biblical illiterate world and that studies show that only 32% of those who regularly attend church actually read God's word every day. This statistic amazes me. Like every time I read that, it just blows my mind. I read these studies, read these two studies that I, that I see, and it blows my mind because I look and I go, How do you survive? How does one survive in the world that is full of deception and lies if we're not in the truth of God's word every day? How do you deal with the sin, the temptation that is in your life that if you're not, if you're not in God's word each and every day? I wouldn't be able to survive. Let's go a step further. How are our kids going to survive? How is the next generation of this movement going to survive if they're not in the word of God? If we as parents aren't instilling the word of God inside of them. Read it every day as a family. Memorize it as a family. One of the best things as a child that my parents did for me is to encourage me to memorize scripture. And I know that sounds like, well, that, was, that sounds like torture. Well, at least it didn't make me memorize it in the King James Version. Though sometimes they did, because that's what my dad knew. So memorize, memorize it. I, to this day, there are verses and chapters that I memorize in elementary school, middle school, and high school that whenever life happens, right? Whenever life happens, and I don't have time to go open my concordance and look for the perfect verse, I can say right there in Hebrews, right there in Philippians, right there in Luke, wherever it's at, those verses guide my life. The things that I memorize as a child. Maybe you're here this morning and say, well, I'm not a reader. Then get an audio version. It's there. Get the U version app. We said it once. It'll read to you. And if you really want something that's a little bit better, there's an app on your phone called the Dwell app, right? The Dwell app will actually put little nice piano jazzy music. And you can select what kind of music you want and how loud of music you want. And the guy, you can pick whatever voice if you want. Female, male, Australian. I mean, you can pick whatever voice you want. And it'll read God's word to you. Be in God's word. We don't have an excuse. If the first century church was devoted to the apostles' teaching and all they had were the people who actually witnessed, how much more should we be involved in the study and be involved in God's word in our lives on a daily basis? We have no excuses. If we can memorize the lyrics to a song because we've listened to it so many times over and over and over, we can do the same thing with God's word. It's essential for us to survive as a believer. I have to tell you, I'm not a fan of podcasts. I'm not a fan of watching, you know, multiple different, you know, teachers or preachers on online and TV and all these different things. But if it gets to God's word inside of you, put it on repeat. Put it on repeat. Make sure they're biblically grounded. Don't just listen to their words. See that their words come from scripture. Learn from them. Be devoted to the teaching of God's word. We have to know the apostles' teaching. We have to know God's word. We have to become learners. Christians are learners. We're learning the truths of God's word from God's word together. So how did the movement happen? They were devoted to God's word. Number two, they were devoted to each other. They gave themselves to each other. A church is a group, a church is a group of people who covenant with each other. A group of people who have an agreement between them and God. We need to be devoted to each other in community with each other. We need to do life with each other. If you're watching online this morning, you need to be in church. You need to be part of a body of believers, a community of believers. Maybe this morning you say, I don't need it. I don't think you realize how much you actually need the body of believers in your life. I think oftentimes we get this messed up when we go to church and we say, well, if we're devoted to each other, then these relationships should be for me. But they're not for you. They're for others. Devoted to each other. As Christians, we must be part of a church. And you might say, Pastor Rob, are you saying that there's not churches without, not Christians without churches? Not necessarily. But I look at it this way. It's like people without homes. 
they're not usually healthy. Homeless people aren't usually healthy. Be in a church. The first church met in big and small groups. They met together as, ten, as three as three thousand. But in verse forty six, it says that day to day they went places together. They broke bread together in their homes. And this word together appears over and over and over and over through through this passage. Together in their homes they praised God. Together they 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 went to the temple courts. As a church, we are big and we are small. Big groups like Sunday mornings is a battalion gathering to get marching orders for where God wants to take us through the week. Small groups are like family where we are loved and we serve and we get and they gave themselves to each other. And it amazes me how many people evaluate the church and how many people evaluate their small groups based upon, well, that really didn't work for me or I'm not really being fed there. When you devote yourself to each other, you give yourself away. The problem is, is that we evaluate every aspect of our lives in terms of what we can take from it. In our own self-centered, selfish little universe, I'm part of that universe sometimes, rather than being devoted to others. They devoted themselves to each other. It was relational. It was two-way. This church was also diverse. In verse 5 it says, There were people from every nation under heaven with different cultures, and they were together in unity. And I think this is a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. You know, whenever I'm in another country and we're in, we're in a church service and everybody's praising and worshiping God in, in, their own, in, in, that, in their language, man, my spirit is filled. Something happens inside of me. A fire, a fire happens inside of me because it's a taste of what heaven, my spirit inside of me is going, this is what heaven's going to be like. This is what heaven's going to be like. And I think the same thing in here. When I see believers of different cultures and races and, and, and socioeconomic statuses and educational backgrounds worshiping together on roof, meeting in small groups together, devoted to each other. So the movement, it, it under, they, understood the, they understood the mission. They were empowered by the Spirit to accomplish, and it was accomplished through the church. So they were devoted, number one, to the word of God. Number two, the apostles' teaching. Number, number three, each other. No, number two, God's word and apostles' teaching. Number two, devoted to each other. Number three, God's presence. We see in verse 42 where it says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And if you guys, um, th- this, is, this is the act of like when we talk about communion, right? When they break, God, break the bread together. And, and at the Lord's table, there's a special time when Jesus promised to be present in a very special way. He's always present in worship, of course. But he's present in a very special way when we celebrate communion. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, that we are participating in the presence of Christ himself when we celebrate the Lord's table. They were devoted to that. They believed that the Spirit of God was on each of them. Paul would later explain that when each of them came to gatherings, they, were, they should be ready to be used by the Spirit of God with words and insights for others. And they came to church expecting God to move, guys. They were devoted to the presence of God, and they came to church expecting God to move. When you come to church, what do you come to church expecting? When you gather around a mission, remember, we're a movement, right? We're a movement that's gathered around an idea. When you come to a movement together, what are you expecting? Are you expecting to meet with God, or are you expecting to hear a sermon and some good music? When you go to your small group, Is your small group full of the Spirit? Are you ready to be used as a small group by God? Are you going to hang out with some friends? I think the the church universal has a severe problem with what they expect whenever we come to church. We are meeting with God. And I've been guilty of this. See, I grew up going to WVU football games all the time. If you know me, that's one thing you know about me. I love college football. I love WVU. And, and, and we, would go, we would go three hours to the games before kickoff to just, to just spend time and hang out. And then, and then we would go to the game expecting our team to win, right? You don't go to a football game and pay money and to go, go expect your team to lose. Well, maybe if you're a Phillies fan, you do. But you don't go to a, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Go in expecting your team to lose. You go expecting that your team is going to win, right? But when we go to church, we show up last minute or we show up running late. 
What are we expecting God to do in our midst? Why do we go to things like that with more expectation than we bring to the place where we meet with the Spirit of God? It goes on to say, And everyone was filled with, filled with awe at the many wondrous signs performed by the apostles. When God is present, there's a sense of awe. When his presence is with us, there's a sense of awe. It's not always noisy. They came expecting God to move. You might say, well, Pastor Rob, you know, Theo and Esther, they talked about seeing healings and seeing deliverances take place. Like, why don't we see that today in our church in Bridgedale, in, Bri- in Bridge, Bridgedale, in Bridge Church in Lansdale? Honestly, I think it's because we come with the wrong expectation. I think we come to church with the wrong expectation. If we go to church with the expectation that God is going to move, we're going to meet in the presence of God. Things would be different. Our hearts, our lives would we walk out different than when we walked in. Does the spirit of all awe define our church? Does it define our small group? Do you come ready to meet with God? To minister with the spirit of God? Do you come prayed up, ready to see what God is going to do in and through you and in others? The movement understands the mission, empowered by the Spirit, accomplished through a church that is devoted to the Word of God, the apostles' teaching, devoted to each other, devoted to God's presence, and lastly, the first century church was devoted to prayer. They depended on God. They prayed all the time. In Acts 4, there's a whole section about how the church prayed. You know, when someone gets in trouble, in Acts 4.12, they prayed. When they have a need, they prayed. When they're scared, they prayed. Jesus had left them in a state of complete dependence on him, right? The disciples had walked with him for many years. They were in complete dependence. And he gave them the great commission and told them to do nothing about it except for pray until the Holy Spirit came. For those 10 days they prayed, and Peter stood up and preaches for about 10 minutes, and 3,000 people came to Christ that day. Pray for 10, min- pray for 10 days, preach for 10 minutes, 3,000 people come to Christ. And I think in our American church, we got this a little backwards. We pray for 10 minutes, we preach for 10 days, and three people come to Christ. I think we have our zeros in the wrong places. This is what happens. The signs, the wonders, the healings, the spiritual gifts, all come through the way of prayer. I've witnessed, I've been part of these things. I've seen them occur. But never once does it happen without a devotion to prayer. At Bridge... Devotion to prayer is one of our building blocks. It's a core value of who we are. Are you devoted to prayer? We have Tuesday night prayer meetings as an overflow of people's heart and desire to be part of prayer. And then we move on to Acts 2 and verse 44. It says, All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions. They gave to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And if we look at that phrase just real quickly that says glad and generous hearts, glad here implies joyful and satisfied. Joyful and satisfied. They gave away their money and they were happy about it because they found something better than money. Think about that. This is the exact opposite of our culture. This morning, you know, we're not talking about giving. We're talking about our dependence and devoted to God through prayer. The evidence of the gospel has taken root in our hearts is a glad and generous heart. Paul sing, sang in prison. That's a sign of joy and contentment. They had found something in God that is better than any, any comfort or money or even personal freedom they could ever experience. The early church Christians found more joy in sharing with each other than they did possessing their own stuff. This morning, do you have a glad and generous heart? Many people can't be generous because they worship the very thing they're supposed to be giving away. Worship team, would you come? Verse 47 says this. It says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so the result of this, the result of being devoted to the apostles' teaching, being devoted to God's presence, and being devoted to prayer, the result was a movement. The result was evangelism. All these things proved the message to be true. 
When you have a group of people devoted to the message, they'll suffer for it. No, no longer will they live for themselves, but they give themselves to each other. They were joy, joyful in Jesus. They didn't need money, is what the scripture said. When we believe so strongly in God that their services were characterized by prayer and a sense of God's presence, people believe, people come to him. Church, Jesus is contagious. People just need to see him and notice. And, and people just need to see him. And I, I think it's, I think I love the, the verse 47, if you have your Bible and you see that, it says, it says that, that there were many who were being saved. And that wasn't from coming from a, from a church service. The initial 3,000 was from the church service. The many that were being added, as some translations say, in verse 47, we're coming from people meeting house to house, from people being the word together in different places. They were loving, they were praying, they were serving, they were giving in the streets. Most of the people who came to Christ should not come to Christ here on a Sunday morning. That is great when they do. They should come to Christ during the week. And I love it so much whenever I hear testimonies of people who were like, this person led me to Christ. This person brought me to Jesus. Think about your life, the people you do life with, your neighbors, the people at your work, the people in your home, the people who are around you. Do they need Jesus? Because you have something that they need and you're empowered by the Spirit to give it to them. Run the play. We talked about football. I gave you a playbook up there. Be devoted to the Word of God. Be devoted to being in God's presence. Be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to each other as a body of believers. Run the play. I gave you the playbook. Be devoted. And they gave themselves to these things. And the response was a movement that understands the mission, the message of the gospel, empowered by the Spirit, and accomplished through each and every one of us. They were captured by the message and they were yielded to the Spirit. God had come to earth to rescue and save them, so they devoted themselves to his word as if their life depended on it. God had given himself to them, so they gave themselves to each other. God had given them joy in the Holy Spirit that was better than the joy of any money or possessions, so they could give it away. God had given them the Holy Spirit and made them a promise about how he would use them So they prayed urgently and expectantly and they saw God's presence and power rest upon them. Are you devoted to this message and these things? If you are, these same things will be true about you. You'll be devoted to the mission. You'll be empowered by the Spirit and God will use you to continue the movement. The measure to which you have given yourself to these things This is the measure of which you believe the message. This morning, let's be a church that is part of the movement. Let us understand the the mission. Let us be empowered by the Spirit. And let's be a church that is devoted to the Word of God, devoted to each other, and devoted to God's presence, and devoted to prayer. And this morning... You know, I'm a guy who I really like things just super spelled out, like super practical, right? So I gave you guys some super practical steps of how you can be devoted to these things and to get started. Being devoted to God's word, being in God's word every day, following a reading plan. I mentioned you version or dwell. Devoted to each other. Be in community with believers where you are challenged to grow personally and evangelize widely. Be part of a body of Christ. Community groups this fall will be a great place for that to start for you. Be devoted to the presence of God. Spend time listening and talking to God every day. Submit yourself. Yield yourself to him. And be obedient to what he asks you to do. And you'll be amazed at what God will do in and through through you. Pursue a deeper relationship with him. When you gather with other believers, come expecting that God is going to meet with you in that place. And expect him to move. Number four, devoted to prayer. Spend time in prayer every day. Dive deeper. Come to a Tuesday evening prayer meeting and join others who are devoted to prayer. 
And I know that, you know, Pastor Rob, well, that was a lot this morning. You just like dumped a fire hydrant on me and I'm trying to like take it all in. What area of your life this morning do you need to be more devoted to? Do you need to be more devoted to spending time in God's presence? Do you need to be more devoted to prayer? Maybe it's in your relationships with one another inside the church. I know that in this season in our culture, it's sometimes hard. You know, you, you go to a church and you, you, you're in conflict with somebody who's on the other side of the church and nobody even knows about it because it's on social media or whatever. Maybe you need to be devoted to each other. I think one of the greatest miracles that we can see in the church today is, yes, healings are great, deliverances are great, but what about forgiveness and unity? There are some great, miraculous signs that need to take place in and, in and through the American church today. And are you devoted to God's word? Are you devoted to being in his word every day, learning from his word? What area of, of, of these do you need to work on? It's a balance across all four. This morning, the worship team is going to sing a song, and I'm just going to invite you this morning. If you need to spend time in God's presence, these altars are open. You can do that. You want to kneel in your seat, you can do that. You need to pray, you need to spend some more time in prayer, you can do that. If you, if you need time to, to be devoted to each other, find somebody that you can pray with or talk or, or, or talk with quietly, whisper with, talk with, that, that you need, if you need to, need to mend some relationships in here this morning. Because I believe that we cannot see God do what he wants to do as being part of a movement if we're not devoted to these four things. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that has empowered each and every believer in this room. God, I thank you for your, your, your son who died on a cross to provide a way for us to have access to you, to be able to be in relationship with you. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would be a church that is part of the movement, that we're part of a movement. God, we understand the mission. God, we, 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 we are empowered by your spirit. And this morning, God, let us be devoted to these four things, God, that we might be able to, to see the movement continue in and through each and every one of our hearts. Father, we invite your presence to just meet with us this morning in this time that we spend worshiping you. And it's in your name I pray.